I'm Jay Cornell. I'm a comedian in New York City, and for the past 10 years, I've been living and breathing the restaurant industry. This is a show where I'll be talking to comedians, actors, bartenders, chefs, and restaurant owners about all things going out. We'll talk about restaurants, bars, staying in, drinking, not drinking, and whatever else we want. This is Going Out with Jake Cornell. Hello. Hi. Um, I'm boring. I went to Bernie's last night, but it was so good. Who'd you go with? Well, it was like an interesting situation where I was supposed to go with my roommate and friend, Andrew, and then... Um, we were like planning to go like later in the evening and then my other really good friend Olivia texted me and was like hey I'm sitting like I, I went to Bernie's when it opened because I was working on a shoot that finished near there like do you want to come meet me for a drink and I was like I am planning to go there in like two or three hours so I guess I'll just go there now instead and we kind of just like sat at the bar for like a long time like hanging out and it was very very fun I love that I love those kind of like spur of the moment hangouts too where it's like yeah, and it was like, un- and then it was like a fun group because then it was like Olivia hanging out with like my friends Andrew and Matt, and like it was just like it was like a good time. Crossover episode. Yeah, it was a it was a crossover episode that like I think was like successful, which is always nice. That's so sweet life of Jake Cornell. Sweet life, wow. Oh, that's so sweet life. Like, I, okay, I get it. It was like that's so sweet life of Hannah Montana, or was that like was that after your time? Well, I'm kind of confused because those jo- that it doesn't make sense to me because. That's So Raven is so prime my age, but I was too old for Sweet Life and Hannah Montana. I think it was like on That's So Raven's like last days and okay. like early because I remember feeling like when I was a kid, like I remember like when people were watching Hannah Montana, I was like, you're regressing or like you're underdeveloped. Like it was like, I was like, they'd be like, I'm obsessed with Hannah Montana. I'd be like, you're a little, you're, it's weird that you're into that. You know what I mean? There was kind of like a horse girl energy about that show. Big like horse girl energy. I mean, if you're like, if you were in the target age, like no judgment, but it was like, if you're like 17, it was like, I was like, there are other things you can be watching. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, the the girl that was like the most obsessed with it at my school, like was a horse girl and she had a Hannah Montana backpack and she yeah. wore these, wore these Converse. I don't know if you've ever seen these. I don't know if they still make them. But they go all the way. They're like high top Converse, but they don't stop. They go all the way to your to your knee, and they like they have a zipper on the yeah, side. Yeah, yeah, they're like yeah, yeah, yeah knee high Converse. Mm-hmm. She wore those every day. Most days, yeah. That's intense. And a long braid down her back. Wow, she seems really specific. She was really specific. Is she still a horse girl? Do you know? I haven't really caught up with her in a while. <laughs> That could be a fun thing to do with your weekend, honestly. Just do a deep dive. I'm going to find her on LinkedIn, see what she's up to. Yeah, LinkedIn is so good for that. Like, in, like, 2023, LinkedIn is kind of blessed for, like, being, like, here's just, like, the basic facts you need to know. And it's healthy for, like, I wish, obviously, I miss, like, I will forever miss, like, the days of, like, OG Facebook stalking. Like, like 2011 Facebook stalking was, like, better than anything really we have going these days. But, like, like, it just, like, a level that, the, the children will never understand but it's like kind of like linkedin is nice because it doesn't there's no like rabbit hole to fall down it's sort of like here's the fact sheet and that's like it yeah it's all very curated but at the same time it's like the thing i use it for the most if i'm being honest is like finding out how old people are because 100 like graduation year yes graduation year exactly because you can sometimes know someone for a really long time and be so wrong about their age yeah 
it's I feel like I'm getting a little bit better at it now as I get older because like I do I I can tell when someone's younger than me, but like when I was when I was in my twenties, I always thought everyone was my age. I was like, oh yeah, everyone's twenty three, everyone's twenty four. Like and then like someone would be like, I'm thirty two, and I'd be like, Wait, what? What? Like I I have a hard time, like if if they're older than me, then they're like straight to forty eight. Like I have a really hard time with like people in between the like twenty five and forty eight range. Interesting. Figuring out where they are in that range. That's like how I don't know what age children are. Like I don't know what a seven year old looks like. Couldn't tell you. Someone's like, yeah. like if someone's like, I have a four year old at home. I like can't really picture what a four year old looks like. I like, it's like baby kid preteen teenager but like i don't know like i like don't know what the difference between like a six and an eight-year-old is like i literally have no idea oh me neither like i would, I think I would of- guess the eight-year-old's bigger but like other than that like no clue <laughs> guess the eight-year-old's bigger yeah definitely i also there's cer- there's certain little kids that are just like big from the beginning right. like my mom was a preschool teacher for a while and when i was in high school if i had like a day off she would sometimes bring me in so i could like help her right in the room and like there were some of them that looked like fresh out the womb and other ones that I'm like you can you reach the highest shelf for me like I can't reach the plate (laughs) (laughs) that's so funny no yeah um I don't understand like kids sizes at all and I also have no idea have I talked about this like I, I have no idea like what ages kids do things at like I have no idea like I'm like what I don't know I have no concept of like when you're supposed to start walking when you're supposed to start talking like when you go from eating like the goo to like the food. Like, right. Do babies but, eat goo for a year or like three years? Like are two year olds eating goo or are they eating food? Before the goo, there's like only liquid for a well, while. Well, there's like breast milk and formula. Formula. And then there's yeah. goo. And then at some point there's food. And it's right. like, I feel like it's, you're supposed to be kind of old when you're eating the food, but I feel like I'm picturing, I can also like very clearly picture like a newborn with a bunch of Cheerios in front of it. So it's like, Right, and, like, the Cheerios everywhere. Like, that's, like, a thing. It's, like, oh, yeah, like, that's part of American parenting is just, like, place a baby in front of, like, the biggest pile of Cheerios you've ever seen. And it's, like, just, like, playing in the Cheerios. It's, like, is it a toy of grain? I have this, like, very distinct memory of being, like, do you have, like, an earliest memory? Yes. That you can think, what is yours? Mine is, mine is, like, very specific. It's going to the hospital um, when my sister was born. I was two and a half. So I was really young. But like I remember I like remember seeing her and like my mom being in the hospital and like seeing the baby. I just had this distinct memory of sitting in a high chair with like a cut up hot dog in front of me. Wait, you told me about this. Yeah. <laughs> I, have. I don't know why, but I do know that about you. There's like there's like a there's also I just I can't I, believe I told you that before. <laughs> wait, this just unlocked a memory I haven't thought about in like so long, like decades. But, like, there used to be this photo of me as a baby, like, a really little baby where, like, I definitely have no memory of it, where I'm in a high chair and there's food, like, the goo food, like, all over my face. Like, some sort of, like, reddish goo is, like, like I've taken, like, a carrot or tomato or something. I, it's, like, just, I, it's, like, I'm, it's, like, it's supposed to be, like, cute that I'm, like, such a messy baby. And I remember, like, seeing that and being, like, ew, who is that? And my mom being, like, that's you. And I was, like, why the f- fuck did you let me put I was like I was like disgusted I was like ew like why is there food and goo all over my face why did you take a photo of it like I'm irritated I'm disrespected I don't like this I feel like that is like one thing that also permeates American parenting culture is like taking a photo of a child that like covered in food 
disgusting, covered in food, crusty. Yeah, and like people think we have. I think like parents have like a higher like a, a a misconception of like how high my tolerance is for like gross things about kids. Like, I'm sorry. Like if there's like bugs in the nose or like if their mouth is like wet in that way, that's kind of gross. Like I don't really want to see that. Like I don't want to see that. I had the most disgusting. It was like it was still during COVID. Like, and I was sitting outside. I remember this. I was sitting outside with a mask on with Penny Lane and this little kid comes over. Obviously like everybody has had at that point, everyone had to wear a mask except for if you were like under two or something. Right. Yeah. yeah. And the tot comes up and, Ew, she, and he's God, like, he out. I know. and he's like petting Penny Lane and like wanting to pet Penny Lane. And then he just takes his hands and like basically like blows <gasps> his like his hands. No, 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 no. He was like, I don't know what to, I, I was frozen. You know, it's like the fight or flight response. I like, up the I, dog and run. I know, but the mom was right there, and she was like, <laughs> cute. I'm like, no, acknowledge it. Your kid is fucking gross. Like, not only is that disgusting always, but also it's like mid-COVID, and you're getting your germs like all over the thing that I use as a pillow, essentially. <laughs> the thing that I use as a pillow. <laughs> yeah, it's so crazy. It's like, yeah, and like parents are also obsessed with like putting their baby in a high chair in a restaurant and then letting that baby like destroy everything in the restaurant and then like leaving, and there's just like shit everywhere on the floor, and it's like really crazy the one thing that that i like connect with about baby culture is shoes like the little tiny well the little tiny shoes are cute the little tiny clothes in general like a little tiny pair of jeans is like cute like i'm like i get that like i do understand like shopping for a baby wait are babies clothes expensive because i'll be furious if they are like that should be part of the fun of shopping for a baby is like little jeans should be like a little price like i want to go buy seven dollar jeans for a little baby do you know what i mean I bet that they have both. Like, I bet that there are some people. I bet there are like well, of course, designers. Like, yeah, but that just sounds fun. Like going shopping for a baby and being like everything's cheaper because it's little. Do you know what I mean? It feels like almost. Sho- it feels like a game, even though it is for like a human baby. But it's oh, like, not- like sort of. I don't know. Or like buying like it's like shopping for like a Polly Pocket, but it's like a baby. <laughs> that does sound fun. That actually does sound fun. Maybe we just want dolls. Do you remember when you were a little kid and you would get really sad when your mom would tell you you couldn't wear anything, something anymore because you got too big for it? Like, do you, mem- do you have like memories of that? Like, I remember I had these, there's a really cute photo of me in one of these. Like, I had this, I think I had a blue one and a green one. I definitely had a green one because there's a photo of me in it. Like, fo- zip up footy pajamas, like a onesie. And I remember like, it got too small and my mom like, wouldn't, I, I'm saying like, wouldn't let me wear it, but like, wouldn't put me on, it on me because it was too small for me. And I remember being like, I was like, I want to wear that as my favorite thing. And she was like, it's too small for you now. And I like, didn't understand that I was growing. And I was like, okay, can I have another one? And she's like, no, like they don't make them for kids your size. Like, And I was like, so I just never get these again? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like your mom ba- body shamed you, first of all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like that is... I get that, but I think as as the younger sibling, I was always like the opposite. Like I was always wanting to like age out of my clothes so that I can like age into my older siblings hand-me-downs and stuff um like I oh, always yeah, wanted like, to like, see, this get- was like yeah that's so interesting that makes sense I had no perception of like what was to come because there was like I wasn't because I was also there weren't like kids my age on especially on my mom's side of the family I was the oldest grandkid so for me it was like oh like my sister gets to shop at this like at the like tween section now oh. and I still have section like I want to shop kind of thing very interesting 
But a lot of the time, my mom would uh, dress my older sibling and I in matching outfits or like coordinated outfits. But I would always get annoyed because then the hand-me-downs came and they were just like a size bigger than the thing I already grew out of. So I like didn't get the like up, like I didn't get new. I just got like the same, but bigger. The same and used. The same and used. That's that's tough. Wow. Did you guys, did you and your siblings like fight over like stealing each other's stuff or is that like... No, because like my sister and I didn't like have similar tastes. Like I don't think there was anything. We fought over, we fought over like specific things and like I don't want to accuse my sister of being like, (laughs) like there were things like my sister really got off on like make like upsetting me as a child. Like, like she would just like go for things that she knew I liked and then wanted to do them because they like, like I remember there was this one ornament that I like loved on the Christmas tree. Like I decided it was my favorite ornament when I was a small child. It was like always my favorite ornament. I just thought, and it's funny because it, it, it was like this little nativity that was like made out of wood that I just like always really liked. And it's like, I'm not religious, but I just like always really liked this one ornament. And so every year I'd want to put it on the tree. And so, and of course, like the year, like when my sister got old enough to realize that like I cared about that, she was like, well, I want to do it. And it was like, I was like, no, pick your own. You just want to do this because I want to do it. And that's like not a reason for me not to be able to do it. And so we would fight like every year about that. Who got to put like the star on the top of the tree? Like the thing is like, like, I don't want to villainize my sister fully. Like my sister would antagonize me a lot as a kid and did want to like, <laughs> like, did want to like um like mm-hmm. just like derail my joy in life like that was her goal but i would but then like, like a little things uh job i mean no totally but also i was like i was like evil in the sense that like because i was pissed about it i would do shit like i remember like one time being like just saying to her like <laughs> we were probably like four and six i was like <laughs> you know like you just can't imagine how happy mom and dad were before you got born like <laughs> Me this before. <laughs> like, just like such fucked up shit like that. oh my god did she freak out because i feel like that if that had happened to me i would have like run straight to my parents yeah. and i was like what do you yeah what i think she definitely freaked out <laughs> but she was just like disturbing my peace my sister was obsessed with my sister was, she's gonna be pissed because she listens to the podcast and she can't defend herself but like she i'm not saying anything that's not true when she was like a little baby her crib was in my room. Like we shared a room. We shared a room multiple times throughout our childhood. But like when she was first born, we shared a room. And when she got like big enough to do this, and again, I don't know like what age this is that babies do this, but it had to have been very young. She became obsessed with crawling up the side of her crib and then like diving out of the crib. And so like in the middle of the night, this baby would like thud on the floor and start screaming. And my parents would run in like screaming and sobbing. And I would be like, I was simply asleep. Like, I had nothing. And it was, like, so upset. And she did it, like, all the time. Like, it was a constant issue. Like, so she never... That's, like, the one thing I can't deal with about babies is, like, they're just so dumb. No, like, yeah, it was kind of crazy. But she did it, like, multiple times. It was, like, a huge issue. (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of truly wild. Oh, my God. That just, like, unlocked a memory of mine that like when I was younger, I don't know if this was just me or if everyone had this, but like I apparently am a, a big thrasher when I sleep. Like I just move a lot. And when I was really young, um, like I had like, you know, one of those like single beds and they put like bed railings on the side. It was like, I guess between like okay. the era between like crib and bed. Oh yeah, um, sure. 
um, whatever. And when they took those down, like one of the first weeks, I woke up sitting on the kitchen counter with my dad standing over me. And I was like, what's going on? And he was like, his room, like my parents' room was right under my room. And he was like, you don't know? And I was like, no. And he was like, you slept this entire time. Apparently I, they had heard a loud thud and it was my sleeping body thudding on the ground. And I had a like faucet of blood coming out of my nose. And you were asleep. That's fucked up, Katie. Yeah. Well that, okay. So Maddie used to also, Maddie's my sister used to also fall out of bed really hard and not wake up. But my question was always like, is it that you, you're not woken up or did you get knocked out? Like, did we transition from like sleep to knockout because you like fell like f- like three feet, like head first out of a bed? Do you know what I mean? That's a really, you're like really tiny, like your child. Yeah. That might like, be. Maddie like- would fall out of bed so hard it would shake the house and then not wake up. Like be, <laughs> to be that small and shake the house with your thud. I mean, is these terrible. are like these are like rickety wood houses in Vermont that are old. But like, you'd be in the kitchen and it would be like it would be like through the floor. You'd boom, and it'd be like fuck. She just like threw herself out of bed. <laughs> oh my god! I <laughs> those kinds of houses are so funny because like there are certain noises that you just have to like train yourself to ignore. Yeah, um, sometimes you just have I mean that was like me as a child is like totally like just getting used to the fact that it's like oh is the house haunted? I don't know. Like there are just like sounds at all the time like, at all times. I remember one time the house like there was a bang and the house like moved. Like the whole house moved and I was like dad what the fuck was that? And he was like that's the house settling. And I was like what is that? What are you talking about? Like what does that mean? The house settling. I was like into what? Like the earth that sounds bad. Yeah, I don't know. what. Did you ever figure out what it meant? I mean, I think it is just like some... I actually don't know. I think that's a thing that like a house is like settling into its foundation or something. But it's like, this wasn't a new house. Like we didn't move into like a brand new house. Like it was an old house. It should have been settled before you got there. Yeah, that's sort of how I feel. Okay. <laughs> when I was in college, I lived in one of those kinds of houses. And I was super high when I, oh, in no. my bed. And I was like, my room started like shaking. And I was like... Oh my god! Like, is this my first earthquake? Like, yeah, is this what's happening? And I'm like texting some of my roommates downstairs, and they're like, "We don't feel anything." Turns out it was just my other roommate whose room was next to mine having sex, and her bed was shaking. Stop! And shook my entire room, and I just was like too high to like realize what was going That's on. That's so funny. Yeah, good for it, your roommate. That's iconic. I mean, I know she was iconic for that, but yes, it <laughs> terrified me. Truly. Well, on that note, speaking of icons, today's guest is a dear friend of mine. He is so, so funny. Um, He is the host of Stradio Lab, a fantastic podcast that I was actually the guest on last week. Or no, this week. So what a fun little exchange. Um, I was the guest on it on this week. You should go listen to that. Their podcast is, he hosted with Sam Taggart, another former guest of the pod. It's a fantastic show. Um, Please enjoy me going out with George Severs. Okay, wait. I want to try the ridge first because I feel like that's important. Is that a ridge? Okay, this great. is a ridge. Oh my God, I can't wait. This tastes very. Um, this is giving like early 2000s Sobe to me. Yes, that's exactly what it is. It's just funny because it's like non-alcoholic. I, I, I guess it's true of alcoholic beverages too. Like the branding, it, it's like the flavor. What am I trying to say? 
you could easily brand this as like a children's product, but you put this like chic product on it and now it's for like liberal arts students from that live in Brooklyn. This needs to be fizzier. Okay, wait, I want to try the, the lime and salt one because that feels posture because there's salt. I agree. Wait, oh, shocked by the color immediately. Whoa. Were you expecting this? No. Why would it be pink? Why are you putting it in a green can if it's a different color? Significantly better. Yeah, I like this a lot better. I would actually drink this. I maintain that it it could be fizzier. I'm happy with the fizz level on this. I would actually definitely, wait, I want to go back to the old one just to compare back. Indisputably, the, the lime one's better. Yes, the lime one's better. Wait, I'm literally taking out my notebook because I took notes about things I wanted to say. Wait, I love you. You're the only guest that's ever done this. I mean, it's like very basic things, but I know that, you know, when something's about like a specific topic where I know at some point you're going to be like, what restaurants do you like? And I know that if you were to ask me that, I would You'd then shut down. Not that I now have a great answer, but I was like, just like put in like one thing that'll like jog your memory. Sure. Okay. And then this is the hibiscus lemonade hop water. Oh, oh, wow. This needs to be colder, but it's good. Mm. Yeah. Okay, glad we tried those. Maybe the temperature is actually my issue with the other ones, too. If they were on ice, I would like them better. I'm actually, I will say I'm I'm fully happy with this one and would just drink it. Next time I'll have an ice bucket. Is there a third? Oh, my God. Sorry. I didn't mean that as like oh a my critique God. of the actual <laughs> experience. <laughs> is there a third flavor of this brand? What is it? Ginger. I can. I immediately oh, don't that. need that. You don't want that? Um... For me, I'm kind of like, I just have enough ginger beverages I like. I don't need a new one in the oh, mix. Like, I, I'll do a ginger kombucha. I'll do a ginger ale or a ginger beer. Like, we, I just don't think we need more ginger beverages on the market. That's I just feel like ginger is one of those flavors that can make a non-alcoholic thing. There's a reason why you like so many ginger-flavored things. Sure. It's like... It has the bite ginger, Like a ginger beer. I'm like, oh, this doesn't even need alcohol because it's flavorful enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway. Have you had the... F I feel like I talk about this on every podcast episode, but have you... Pardon me. We just drink three fizzy beverages. I'm going to be burping the whole episode. Um, have you ever had the phony Negroni? This no. like, oh, it's this new non-alcoholic Negroni by Santa Grastas. And it's actually like truly very good. Okay, fascinating. I'm actually doing sober weekdays this month. Nice. And yet I haven't, do you know what I'm, well, not obsessed with. In fact, I begrudgingly drink is non-alcoholic beer. I actually like non-alcoholic. I'm like a. Do you a, do athletic a, brewing? Athletic is good. And the my the one I think is the best is Bitburger Drive. Have you had this one? No. It's like a brown glass bottle with a white label. And I just think it is like a very refreshing non-alcoholic beer. I like, I like, I like non-alcoholic beer. Yeah. I like non-alcoholic beer. And then I've been doing a lot of like. Just like soda and bitters at home, which is Classic. sort of depressing, but also whatever. Are you normally like um, on like a on a month where you're not doing sober weekdays? Are you like a cocktail at the end of the day kind of guy? Wait, are we recording? Yeah. Oh my god, I did not know. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, wait. Now, from now on, I'm performing. Okay. okay. <laughs> what What was the question? And I'm going to answer so intelligently um, and wittily. I'm going to. What gonna, if we bitted, like, talk for an hour and you're like, when are we going to start recording? I'm like, that was the episode. I'm actually really happy I asked because I was truly like. Sorry, I, I should have. Really laid back. <laughs> you started like, not being charming at all. You were being charming. Thank you. Um, I also, like, truly came in and the. It immediately criticized the way in which you offered me a tasting menu. Wait, how did I do that? When I, I was like, oh, this could be better with ice. <laughs> no, but actually, no, it's fine. But I was just like taking my role as a sort of. No, uh, but I started that by seriously. saying this one should be colder. Yeah. I said that. Yeah. You're fine. Okay. You were asking me if I do a cocktail at the end of the day. Yeah. And a normal when you're not doing like sober weekday month, which yeah. are you like someone who like, all right, work day's over. Like, let me pour myself a cocktail. I no, I don't pour myself a cocktail. I do. 
I do have wine with dinner, honestly, most days. But I sort of grew up like my. I was going to say, is that like just growing up Greek? Yeah, like my par- my pair. I've never seen my parents like drunk, but they have exactly like one and a half glasses of wine with dinner, and that's just like always been the case. Hundred um, percent. And so, and I'm. Um, in fact, I just quit, but until recently, I was part of a wine club that would send me like four wines a month, which was. It's just like a really nice thing to have a bunch of wines in the home. It's so nice. And you don't feel, you sort of like, you know, when you like, when something is a monthly charge, you like forget that you're even paying it. So in my mind, I was like, oh, well, I have all this free wine. (laughs) I mean, that was me with my greatest subscription. It was the greatest thing and one of my greatest losses. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The secret to spending money is just let six hours pass and then you'll forget about it. Absolutely. It really is. That is like my overarching just like strategy with not just money, but like food. It's like, if you eat something unhealthy, you're like, yeah, just give it a couple of hours and you'll forget you did it. Absolutely. I think that's a hundred percent. Or even like wasting time. You're like, yeah, I guess yesterday I wasted the entire day, but now it's today. Oh yeah. I think it like, also you find out that like in the way that like, in the way that in school, if you did something late, they could be like, we're docking your grade. Right. You realize like as an adult, it's like no one has the ability. Like obviously eventually you can get in like trouble, but it's like you're like boss can't be like, I'm taking 15% off your I pay. Know. <laughs> I know. I'm actually in the middle of this week. One of the reasons I'm, I've come in so refreshed is because this week I'm, I took the whole week off of work just on my own to have like, to sort of like regroup and catch up on various things and also sort of like relax because I hadn't taken any time off in like six months. That's stunning. And I didn't take any time off during the holidays. So I was sort of like, I've never done anything like this before. I just like have a week randomly off in the middle and of I, January. And I want to say good for you for not calling it a staycation. No, because honestly, <laughs> yeah. And I want to say thank you for that. The thing is, I, w- I was sort of trying to describe, I haven't decided what this week, because I at the same time want to quote unquote catch up on stuff and like creative projects that I don't have sure. time to do when I have a job. But then I also am like, I also want to relax and you sort of can't have it both ways. And that's, it's causing some stress where I'm, where I'm sort of like, wait, so my goal is to both have like a self care week it's while also what like catching up on all my emails and like having meetings. Well, it's also that thing when your job is the, th- it's like the, the truly vicious cycle of when your job is something that you love doing, like your career is something you love doing, not doing it isn't fun, but then also doing it feels like work. Yeah. So you never know peace. Yeah. It's, um, hell. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I envy, like I do, con- I've never had the, the like nine to five, like I do envy people who have a nine to five and then like, they're like, I'm done with the work day and that's it. Mm-hmm. So this is like, I've always somehow, I've never made a lot of money, but I've always somehow, I, I'm so terrified of not having a nine to five that I almost shoot myself in the foot by somehow managing to find something that's like anywhere from completely unrelated to my ambitions to sort of like marginally related to them. Sure. And so I would say for the bulk of my comedy time, except when I've had like actual writing jobs, I've had like a nine to five job. And then it's like, you take a little break for dinner and then you're going out and doing shows. I need you to understand. I think that's, I find you so impressive because I literally would not have a single shred of career if I had done it that way. I, I couldn't do it. There's, there's no way in which I could. Because you'd be tired. Yeah. I, like, I did restaurants mm-hmm. so strictly the entire time, 
And in the earlier part, like, and I think, and like, there was a good, I don't know, what, five years in New York where I was like not having a successful comedy career. And I think one part of that was because I was like um, doing UCB and two, (laughs) (laughs) um, like I was also like, I was working in a restaurant like 40 hours a week and just like actually did not have the creative juices left after that to yeah. like do anything comedic. Well, isn't in restaurant work, sorry if this is an obvious thing, but it's like, it's in the evenings. So were you just not performing when you had work? I actually did a lot of, well, it was a mix. Okay. I had, I did, for, uh, for there was a stretch there. There was like a few years stretch there where I was a lunch bartender, oh, which was kind of gorgeous, but it but still it was like having a, it was a full-time job. Um, well, and also you don't get as many tips, obviously. Like you just no, make less money. No, but I did that. I was like, it's worth the less money to work like 11 to five. Yeah. Like that was nice. Do you know Lillian Devane or was she sort of no, before slash know. after? So Lillian lived here for a long time and in fact moved to Oregon last year um, in a sort of, I think she is like, I don't know if she's still doing comedy, but I think she's just like taking a break from it and randomly is like going to like a fully funded graduate program. <laughs> um, but she's one of the funniest people and, uh, and she, in, in a very good comic, but she was, um, very like high up as a bartender. Like she was a head bartender for, um, oh God, Shema Tant. Oh fuck. Yeah. That's huge. Um, and so, and then before that she was at, uh, like Marlowe and Sons and she was like all, at all yeah, these like big that's places. Like no joke. And to me, I think what she was doing and or Lillian, if you're listening, I'm sorry if this is wrong, but I think she would sort of like work three days a week, yeah. make so much money because they're like really nice places and you get great tips and then do comedy the rest yeah. of those nights. And that's like enough money to, I was like always kind of chasing that. And I did have it for like brief periods of time, but it's really hard to find like, I'm, I've, and I'm sure she probably had this experience to an extent. It's very hard to find restaurants that like are making that level of money. Yeah that are also because like at those levels, like a lot of people are career, are working career level that they're like, yeah, like do it three nights a week and then go do something else. They're like, well, we do need you five. Do you know what I mean? Totally. They want you. Of and course. I think that's amazing that she was able to do that. I never, I also refused to be a good bartender. Like yeah. I was good at, I was good at, I was good at like fast bartending and I was good at like serving a lot of people. But like when people are like, so we're going to do like sort of this thing where you like origami and orange peel and put that on the old fashioned. I was like that I couldn't bring myself to do it. Yeah. Well, it's also just like, it's so difficult when I feel like there's something I've struggled with, with things I have done in the past as sort of day jobs or things outside of work where unfortunately when you are like you don't want to just feel like you're sleepwalking through the day. So you do ultimately start caring against your better judgment you have about the things that you are yeah. doing. And so there's just, and, and ultimately it's not like the alternative is better. Like, I don't want to feel like I'm wasting my day. Yeah. And I also don't want people to like, like uh, my thing was, I always was like, it makes like my boss's job harder and my coworker's job harder if I'm bad at my job. Right. And like, I have too much guilt and shame to like, let that happen. Is it better for my career if I showed up and gave nothing because I would have still gotten by? Like you do not have to do, like you can coast and get by in this life. Like I should have been doing that, but I like, I couldn't bring myself to do it. And that was the way, like, I just think that's why I'm saying it's so impressive to me that you have, you are like so funny and have done so much great work because you. you have... I don't understand how you had the energy because when I had to go back to restaurants after like my comedy, after I did start making money doing comedy and was doing it a lot more as work, I like, when I started going back to restaurants, I was like, oh, I actually physically can't do this. I know. It's there like, was no brain power left. I mean, the thing is, um, what I feel like happens with me is like, 
there are just periods of being on top of it and periods of just so not being on top of it. Like I can let my inbox get to like the hundreds and and just sort of like miss like truly an important email that is directed. Like someone will literally email me and be like, you're getting your own show. (laughs) And I will like, (laughs) I'll literally like miss it. Like if I'm like in a sort of month where I feel overwhelmed. And I also just like, I'm a naturally very anxious person and it almost it all sort of just like feeds into my anxiety and I'm sort of like a day will go by and I'll be like did I do anything today I genuinely can't remember yeah I also have no my thing is I don't understand the concept of like working hard because like when I worked (laughs) no because when I worked in restaurants it's like you physically know when you've worked hard because it's like a physical experience yes Yes. so then like when I'm doing like comedy work I'm Mm -hmm. like was this working hard like I'm like I feel mentally exhausted, but like I'm I'm physically fine and I could go out for drinks right now. I could do stuff. Like, does this count as working hard? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? The worst to me is doing creative work solo. Like it's actually impossible. It's it's legitimately impossible. You have no idea. You, you don't even know what to compare it to. You're like, I, you genuinely don't know if you've had a successful or not successful, like four hours of writing or whatever. And I'm being very like ambitious and optimistic with that number. Um, but like, well, four hours of writing is like, actually like, it's like, it's like making 20 minutes. Eggs. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's like making eggs, like taking a shower. It's like, like, yeah, it's like watching a clip of like Jennifer Coolidge on Seth Meyers and being like, well, She's in the industry, so this counts. <laughs> the, yeah, truly. I mean, like this. Yeah, I like doing. I'm like researching. I'm like watching a video about like the Bimini Road. That is truly what I fell down the rabbit hole about the other day. Um, but it's like just it's something like that, and it's like I. But it's like does that? But is anyone? I don't think a single person's being like I'm going to sit down and write, and then I like don't is know. doing it. I truly. I people are. I have always my entire. And maybe this says more about like my own issues, but I've always felt lazy and unproductive, no matter what my actual output is. And I'm like, part of me is like, oh, maybe everyone feels that way. And then part of me is like, well, if you look around, some people somehow really get it done. I know. That is what I miss about like, when I was really doing TikTok like two years ago, it it did feel really nice to be like, every day I'm putting out a video. And then you kind of realize like, okay, but like, is the quality of this what I want to be putting out? And that's where it kind of like pivots out. But there was something incredibly like the videos out for the day. I have outputted for the day. It is like doing well or not doing well. But like I have done my work for the day and here's like this product. That's like my my, probably my favorite thing. Well, it's a double edged sword, but I would say one of my favorite things about my job at Gawker, because I'm an editor at Gawker and I'm not a writer, I'm an editor. So it's like I wake up and each day I have to sort of assign and then edit a series of like short posts on the news, like regardless of any like longer essays or other stuff that takes like, you know, more weeks and days or whatever, there just needs to be content on the site. So like by, you know, 1 PM, there are anywhere from three to five posts on the site and those need to be written that morning. And there's something about just like the, the almost like factory element of that. No, that would be where satisfying. I'm like, oh, by lunch, I can look, I can literally go on gawker.com and look at things that I have, even if I'm doing very little, cause some, I work with very like good writers. So sometimes it's very little work to edit yeah. them, but then sometimes it's like, oh, I get to do my little punch ups and like put in something and like move something around. Or like maybe I had a good idea that I assigned that like wouldn't have been, yeah. you know, whatever. And so 
there is something about like the immediacy of that. And that's also why standup is so fulfilling is because exactly. you, it's the most immediate feedback you could possibly get. Yes. And I think, God, we're like, I'm, I promise I'll start being funny after this, but I feel like we're, <laughs> I'm being very like WTF with Mark Maron. But the, the issue I think with probably with both of us feeling like lazy or unproductive is like, because you have the experience of something being so immediate, yes. then when you have to do something that's like more long-term, you like, crack you're like well why am i i also have like investment anxiety it's like a commitment phobe thing yes, where i'm 100%. like where it's like i'm afraid of like putting in like long-term effort onto something that is like because like what if it you know what, I mean? what if it doesn't mm-hmm. get picked up what if it doesn't sell what if it yes. doesn't and it's like and it's like you have to release that because you'll never do anything productive if you don't but it's like it's so hard for, i've been struggling like, it has been so hard for me to do work on things that would be like life-changing dream coming yes. true I will spend days not doing it or like it's open on my computer and I'm trying to do it, but I can't bring myself to do it because it's like not even like I it's it's like the fear of investing in something for it to then fail and break your heart. And so something like a tweet or stand up, Mm -hmm. it can go really great. And if it doesn't, there's like it's like like, it's why I used to do improv because there was like no risk and there was high reward, but the high reward wasn't actually that high. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's sort of like at the end of the day, you are still doing stand up or improv, both sort of. No, self-degradation. It's yeah. degradation. You're debasing yourself. Absolutely. In front of tourists and or uh, Brooklyn gentrifiers. Yeah. So truly pick your place. Which are tourists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no. Yeah. It's all of it is so brutal. Yeah. Anyway, I love restaurants. Okay. Let's talk about it. <laughs> Did you grow, okay, did you grow up in a family going to restaurants? Um, I would say, like, we went to restaurants a normal amount. So we, uh, so I spent my early childhood in Greece. Then we moved to the States, and I lived in suburban New Jersey for, like, six or seven years. And then when I was, like, 12 or 13, we moved back to Greece. So if you sort of add it up, it's, like, 50-50. So when we were in New Jersey, it was, like, you know, we had like a local Italian place called Danielle's. It's like very what you picture suburban yeah, New Jersey yeah, totally. to be. Like it's nothing impressive. Um, and my mom also was like a very. She then sort of snapped and became a really good cook later in life. But in her New Jersey era, she was just like. I mean, she had three young kids. She was like, you know, making sort of like meatloaf and like dry Absolutely. chicken, like whatever. Yeah. Then I feel like when we moved back to Greece. It was a real glow up for the whole family in the sense of like- Where in Greece for you? Athens. And so my parents, I think, although they loved living in the States, I think when we all moved back to Greece, they were sort of like, oh my God, like we're not immigrants anymore. We're like really like, I could almost feel them like exhale in a way. Like they were just like so Damn, happy to, you know, that's like- that's so cool. I, and again, not that, you know, it, it, they did not face like racism or anything. You know what I mean? Like we're white. They were very well educated. It's not that. It's no, more just there's like, like there's a difference between being an immigrant and being like back in your home country. In your own culture. Yeah. And like my mom, in terms of food, I just like my, my mom would be like a lot more ambitious with her cooking. We'd like go out more. Um, we, I don't know. I feel like also like Greece itself went, was sort of developed a lot while we were away. And then had like better restaurants and stuff yeah. like that. So like we went to like a few, but nothing super, um, I wasn't like super into restaurants or anything. I feel like when I got, I hate to use this phrase, like into food was that I went to <laughs> college in California and in in the Bay Area. And like, this was sort of like in the uh, aftermath of uh, like sort of Alice Waters culture. 
of like I'm uneducated and don't oh, know what that just reference like, is. Just um, like like farm to table, basically. Oh, like is the, Alice Waters Shapenese? Yes, exactly. Okay, great. Yeah, so so it's like you know. Everything that now is so cliche, locally sourced yeah, vegetables yeah, 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 yeah. and like veggie forward meals and like cooking a single egg on a wood fire oven yeah, and yeah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, um, and, and also like the Mexican food is so good in California. Like I just, and it was just such a big part of the culture. And I, and then I moved to San Francisco proper after college and San Francisco is just like such a big food city. And I was dating someone for six years that was like from California like an incredible chef, like to this day, maybe the best home cook I know, like could just like walk into a kitchen, open a fridge. There's like three ingredients. They would make like, that's so a restaurant quality. It was, it was really like, I I almost became like a character in a movie. That's like, you got something here. Like (laughs) you gotta pursue it. Like I, and I really, to this day, I'm almost like, cause you know, we are still um, friends and stuff, but I'm almost like, God, if you like, I if they just if they opened a restaurant, like I genuinely still think it would be It'd like be a something. huge hit. Anyway, but so that was like my way in, and my ex was like very sort of like it was just like a huge part of their life, and like we would go to uh, that's like where we would spend our money, yeah. and like it was always like what was the new place, blah, blah blah. Then we'd go to L.A. where they're from, and like their parents would take us out, blah blah. So that was like the beginning of my, you know. Kind of getting to know restaurant culture. And then the following thing happened, which is that I moved to Boston. And Boston is potentially the worst food city, like, globally. And I I didn't know you lived in Boston. Yeah, that's where I started comedy. Okay. So, like, I sort of have this— Were you out? (laughs) Yes, I was out. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, I would say—I would argue that because I was often, like, the only gay person on lineups or, like— Whatever. I actually think it was like very beneficial to me. Like I actually have very positive. The comedy portion of my Boston years is like a very positive one. Like I feel like it was the most I've ever written. It was the most productive I've ever been at at just literally just writing standup. Like I would like go to open mics every night. I would do like I I had a weekly show that that like did well. Like, you know, it was just like the comedy element of it was good. But I have to like going from San Francisco to Boston in terms of food. No, is, I like, can't imagine. It's truly like j- jumping, like when you think there's like an extra step on, on the stairs, and then yeah. you fall. Like I-, I was in shock. <laughs> and it's better now. And I have to say this because I do have a couple friends who listen to this podcast who work in restaurants in Boston. Okay. The food scene in Boston is better now. <laughs> listen, I also might have not known where to go. No, but, but this was what? How long? How many years ago was this? Um, seven. That's uh, like a. I think. I think like the foodie scene in Boston has changed a lot. I mean, all, all I know is that. I was truly like, I kept an open mind and I was like reading like Eater Boston or whatever the equivalent was. I don't know. And I was like, okay, like these are the top 50 restaurants. I'm going to like try this one. I'm going to try this one. And at every stage I was like, (laughs) truly like going home. Like what was that? Yeah. It's tough. Um, so then, uh, yeah. And then I, and then I moved to New York like six, seven years ago and I've, and I kind of got back into it, but and have you lived in Brooklyn the entire time you've lived in New York? Yes. Okay. I lived in Crown Heights first, then I lived in Park Slope, then I moved to Crown Heights again, and then um, last year I moved in with my boyfriend in, at his place in Brooklyn Heights, which is a whole other world. Yes. Wait, and before we get into, like, talking, like, let's—before we yeah. get into, like, the nitty-gritty of, like, restaurants we like, I do just want to say, and this relates to going out, George's holiday, holiday party this year— 
expertly hosted. Thank you. Expertly hosted. Expertly hosted. First of all, it was an honor to have you there. It was an honor to be there. It was an honor to be there. I feel like it was like, it was such a fun mix of people. Did you end up meeting a lot of like non-comedy people? No, I mostly hung out the entire night with... Richard and Cole. and Cole. Yeah. That was like, we kind of were like on a couch, like really like getting into it, I feel like. And then I think, I actually feel like I, we, because we kind of got like stuck on, not stuck in like a bad way, but like there was like a, a crowd of people. So totally. we were just like sitting on the couch, like yeah. in this sea of people. I feel like I talked to them. Oh no, that's not true because then I got up. Does Patrick Sullivan count as a comedy person? <laughs> um, He's so funny, but he doesn't he do it for funny. money. He does not do comedy, but sort of is like in the extended. I feel he's like in the he's MCU. in the extended, like, right, yes, the MCU. <laughs> he's in, like, the comedy MCU. Um, I guess, no, I didn't meet that many non-comedy people that night. But it was, I, I was sort of, like, because it was a pretty, uh, sort of, like, well-attended, if I do say so myself, soiree. But, oh, it was, but actually, comedy-wise, well for, like, was, what time of year was it? Yeah, but comedy-wise, I think because it was dr- the week between Christmas and New Year's, a lot of people were had gone to visit their families. It was comedy-light, for Com- very sure. Very comedy-light. I was sort of shocked, because I remember when we were— Making the guest list, I was like telling my boyfriend, I was like, well, just so you know, like I have a lot of comedy <laughs> friends and honey, they travel in packs. <laughs> and like, I just want you to know, like, yeah, I might only invite like my close friends, but like they'll bring people and like it will be at least 200 comedians. And then it ended up being truly like 11. <laughs> <laughs> it was. And then it was like we were joking, like me, Cole and Richard were joking, like the the the. Non-comedy people there were so chic. Right. So suddenly yeah. chic that I was like, I was like, I feel like if people knew my credit score, I would be evicted. Like from like not honey, a bad honey, way. Welcome but, to my life. <laughs> but I was just like, wow, this is a chic, chic, like the kind of you know, like you know when people are wearing like like a slouchy sweatshirt, but you know it's like $250. Well, and- I just want to say, like, and this is not this is in no way a brag because they're not my friends, but my my boyfriend used to be uh he's a a, a magazine writer and he used to cover only fashion yeah for many many years so many of those people were in fact professional fashion designers like yeah. that's what you were picking up <laughs> it's also like to be living in new york dating a magazine writer is a thing that happens in rom-coms that doesn't exist and it's so amazing that it really is giving that. train wreck starring amy schumer it's- <laughs> It's actually really stunning that you achieved that. It's sort of and he's um, so sweet. He's yeah. He's very, I, there's something about. Well, he's also from New York. Yeah, yeah. He's like a little older than I am. Yeah, there. It, it's very. Um, it's very New York. <laughs> I don't think I knew he was a fashion writer. He was for. He was a. He he covered essentially like ninety percent fashion for a big chunk of his career and now it's like more broadly like arts and culture and media. Okay. It makes more sense now why everyone was so No, no, no. It was, I, I literally That uh, actually makes sense. It was legitimately fashion design. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, Just like well-structured clothing. Yeah, which is why like, and I'm now sort of, you. the thing is I was about to just, you know, sort of talk, talk about like how at first I was so like intimidated by all these people and um, almost like in a defensive way, went into it being like, well, they think I'm trash. I'll be standoffish first. <laughs> like, sort of like. You're my personality to a T. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I actually have a very, this is like early on in a relationship. He took me to a, um, like, f- a fashion thing. And there was this guy who was truly dressed like Hansel in Zoolander. Like, <laughs> but you could tell that everything, he, like, it was just like everything was so 
on point and even though it looked Curated. like, yeah, whatever. And I was just like, well, he probably thinks I'm trash. I'm wearing like yeah. Uniqlo jeans. So I'm going to sort of be like, I, I, I didn't want to, I mean, I think the worst thing you could do in that situation is be like, oh my God, you look incredible. Where's that from? No, you know, yeah, that, cause over. then you, you sort of show that you're, that you don't know. Yes. So I was sort of like, just being like quiet and like, you know, answering monosyllabically. And then at some point I just sort of looked at him and I was like, oh, he thinks I'm a huge bitch. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. Um, but also I think we underestimate how difficult it is for people to meet our friends, like our comedian friends. It's almost worse. <laughs> yeah. I think it's like, I don't know. I recently went through this where I was hanging out with, I was like seeing someone and I was hanging out with their friends and I was like, it, it, it was that thing of like, I was saying like your friend, like I was like complaining. I wasn't complaining about his friends. I was complaining about one of his friends, but like I was, I was like, I found that party overwhelming X, Y, Z. And he was like, do you know what a comedian party is like? Totally. Like, do you know what? Cause he had come to my birthday party, yeah. which was me and Marsha. <laughs> and he was like, do you know what that was like? And I was like, fine. And he was like, no, like, no, it's actually it's like, no. it's actually maybe the worst community to be an outsider in. And I include like literally going to Davos and being with billionaires. <laughs> but I think it's like this, <laughs> like legitimately, I think it is more alienating for like a normal person who works in marketing to enter you and you're in Marsha's party than it is for me to but, go to Davos. Okay, but the thing is, I think across all of it, it's true that it's all just actually what you're projecting. Onto it. Like it's like no one, no one at my birthday party thought they were too cool to talk to anyone. No, it's not even about coolness though. It's about like people constantly doing bits and, and, and like, I don't hang out with those comedians. I'm, sure. I'm well, no, no I, it's not that I don't hang out with them. I don't do bits. I'm like, uh -huh. I'm like, that I, I'm too sincere of a person. It's it's my failure as a comedian. I'm like bad at bits. Yeah, you need to work on that. No, I know. I, I it's I get my manager calls me every day. She's like, you're not doing bits at the parties. They're talking about it. <laughs> yeah. um, I just like can't handle. I lose. I spin out if we're in like an actual social situation, but people are like talking fake. Yeah, like, and I don't mean fake like being fake, but like having a fake joke conversation. Totally, totally. And we're not on stage. I'm like, guys, I need actual human connection. And I love for the people that love it, but I, I also shut down in those spaces. So I think I forget that like, but I will shut it down. I will like either leave the situation or just like when there's a lull, like be like, so like whose parents are divorced? Like I'll just bring up right, something right, sincere, right. but it's like, I forget that not everyone can do that. And I understand if you work in marketing and people are doing bits, the, I would lose my mind. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess I, yeah, I guess it is an, it is a more impenetrable social dynamic than others. I know, but you know what? It's all we have. It's all we have. <laughs> it's truly like, I I feel this way more and more every, by the year. I know we're not talking about restaurants. I promise we'll get we're back to We're talking about it. going out, though. It's, okay, fine. It's not <laughs> but like I'm going to restaurants like, with Jake Cornell. Yeah. Um, but I, I used to actually, I remember when I first started doing comedy, I would sort of be like, I would notice that like everyone's friends were only comedians. And I like almost prided myself in like, having a lot of friends from college or yeah, friends yeah, yeah, from yeah. other places or friends from my jobs, whatever. And I was like, I, I almost remember being like, note to self, don't let go of these friends. Otherwise you'll become like all these other comedians who yeah. only hang out with comedians. And of course now I'm like, I have become <laughs> that. But I think it's sort of like, there's a sort of cultish element where I'm like very protective. I'm like, I'm like, this is all we have and all we know how to do and we have to stick together. <laughs> well, yeah. And it's also like once, especially when you start to like build your voice off of like the other people around you yeah. and that starts to get a little, you do like need each other in yeah. that way. 
I think I'll always have my best friends outside of comedy. I do think I need that to not lose my mind. I do, ultimately, I do. I think there, there are fewer now than they, than they used to be. That was actually, can I say that? That yeah. was the biggest flex of your holiday party was being like, look at all the normies I know. Wow, thank you. That yeah. was actually such a powerful move to be like, yeah. wow, George has like a normal, healthy life. Well, I, yeah, my college friends that were there are all like so great and like, yeah. And ultimately like- more it's like I was gonna say like just as interesting or more interesting than like I don't know people we know that like write for TV or whatever but but, yeah famously boring but yeah I don't know anyway but yes I think that um I think that that party that party like really uh made me happy because I was like oh all the like everyone was sort of just like getting along despite I was so worried that like people would have nothing to say to one another no it was so I just want to like hit some high points of why I thought it was so chicly done Thank First you. of all, the invitation, the invitation, incredibly communicative. You will not be served dinner. There will be light food. Bring a bottle. I was like, and abs- no kids and no kids, no kids. And then sorry in quotes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just was like, this is exactly what I want. Like, and then it's like, it's gorgeous. Cause everyone brings a bottle. There was plenty of wine, but like, it wasn't crazy. Like, yeah. There was like a baklava and like one other dish. Yeah, I went to- Or no, to, spanakopita, not baklava. Yeah. Well, in fact, my sister did end up bringing baklava. I went to, God, not Sahadi's, but the other one that's, well, whatever, it doesn't matter. But I went to one of the various um, Middle Eastern places on Atlantic and just got like a giant thing of spanakopita that you yeah. can just like put in the oven and reheat and then- Yeah, and I will serve. say I was one of three people that ate it, but like that's me at any part. Like if there's- I mean, <laughs> I had, I myself had at least three of them, so- Yeah, I was hungry. Um- yeah, we said, we actually, we said bring a bottle or an ornament, which I sort of thought was genius, not to toot my own horn. No, I, then, like, I thought it was truly genius. It's like ornaments are actually, we, this was our first year having a tree and I, it's like, I don't care enough about it to go out and buy like expensive ornaments. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, people love getting a gift and we'll get you like a $25 one. Yeah. And Cole, Cole made an ornament from I mean, their tar screener. Genius. <laughs> yeah, Cole Escola took a tar, the screener of tar and just put a string around it so that it was an ornament. And then we had it on our tree until we took it down. Um, I really thought that was beautiful. But no, but I thought the and then, but yeah, I just thought the way you're also your home is very conducive to hosting. There's like multiple rooms, but they're not. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. It, it's, I, I moved into that apartment in the last year and it's the first time I've ever had an apartment where I could host people. Yeah. Like I truly used to live in a studio that's like the size of this podcasting studio and it had roaches in it. So it really was um, a dream. I think I'm going to host, I can host, my apartment is like somewhat good for hosting. I couldn't have as many people as you had at the Christmas party, but I do think I'm going to host a small party soon and you 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 will be invited. Um, I love hosting. I know. It's, um, I want to do more of it. Wait, I have a question. Okay, before we go into restaurants, something I always think about with hosting and I really waffle back and forth on this. I feel like it's a very chic New York sort of like iconic move, but the sanitation of it, I'm kind of constantly waffling back and forth on. Do you know what I'm going to say? Are you talking about a premix cocktail? No, I'm no. very pro those. Okay, wait, let me think. What's like a shoes? classic? No, no, no. That, those are off. Okay. I'm a shoes off. and Yeah. Um, it's like a classic thing that you feel. I feel like it's a very like New York thing to do at a party, and there's often, there's often like photos of it. Uh, shrimp cocktail. No, it's be- <laughs> it's a beverage related practice. Okay. Oh, punch bowl. No. no. Okay, just say it. <laughs> the filling the bathtub with ice oh. and using that as sort of the beverage storage. Wow. Yeah. So I think it's like a really fun thing, and whenever you see the photo of it, and there's like champagne in the totally. bathtub, I'm like, cool. It's just like next to the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> We we bought a um, a nice thing from 
just Ikea that we put all the, um, cold, like, sparkling and white wine yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, like, worked out very well. It was, like, $15. Yeah. I think that I think that the idea of using the bathtub is fun. Yeah. But I think, one, it's, like, it's annoying to me. Like, I can't get a drink until someone's done in the toilet. Right. And also, it and is then you're just, like, pissing close pissing to the— Pissing and shitting just, like, so close to the beverages. To, like, open bottles, maybe? Well, I feel like they oh, have like to come can, out when they're open. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. still, like, the cans of beer, the bottles no, of No, I don't— no, I, I agree with that. It's I, out, yeah, right? There's no, reason to, there's no reason to have anything edible next to the toilet. I think I'm, I feel similarly. Yeah. Okay. That's decided. Okay, great. I'm glad we're in agreement about that. No, but I think, yeah, I've been thinking, because I was like, oh, that'd be so fun. And then I was like, no, it's gross. Okay, let's talk restaurants. Yeah. Wait, before, I'm actually so happy you brought up hosting because it's almost like there's something about re- restaurants generally, especially during and post in quotes the pandemic are so fraught because of yeah. various issues that it almost is more fun to think about hosting now like mm-hmm. i almost like i mean it's expensive and i can't do it all the time but i'm i it, it's uh it feels more joyful to be like ooh maybe i'll host a cocktail party than no, like yeah. i'll do a birth, birthday dinner or something yes and there's a lack of variables that's nice yeah. like people are coming into my home yeah like And I like, I'm excited about hosting at my place because I live so close to other bars now that I could be like, and then at 11, we're all going to go to come on everybody or we're all going to go to the holler or do or dive or whatever and like get everyone out of the house. (laughs) Or if we all stay all night, great. But there's like an option if we feel like we need to go. People are also so grateful for any tiny thing when you're hosting. Like, let's say you make one thing, you make like a dessert. Yeah. People are going to be like. In shock and and like having like a truly like are like high on ecstasy. Well, because- I think you're okay. Now I think you're actually not giving yourself enough credit for how good of a host you are because well, I've been invited <laughs> to some stinkers where you come over and you're like, why am I here? Well, here's what I'll say. You shouldn't have. I'm like, I promise I'm not thinking of anyone in, in particular. Name, and I'm saying first last name. <laughs> I just am trying to think if someone recently has done this that could possibly be. I, all, all I was going to say is it can't be all like Trader Joe's frozen stuff you can i feel you can pick one thing like we had pigs and blankets that were just like frozen like i don't know where we got them like costco or trader joe's whatever but you also set the expectation of don't come hungry yes which so it's like there was if there had been like a cheese plate that's fine yeah you know what i mean yeah i think i feel like you should there should be like three edible things i think that's enough i agree I was, because I came, I ate beforehand. And so when I came and saw that you had a full day, tray of Spanakopita, I was like, that is so amazing. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> to like set the expectation low and totally. then over serve. I was like, genius. Yeah. And I was, it was I, to the point where I found out, cause Matt's been doing the, this party for years. Mm-hmm. I was like, he's a seasoned host. Oh, absolutely. Like yeah. that was, it, 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 it all came together. Cause like I was truly, I think about these things. I love parties. I love going out. I was like the whole time I was like, this is an expertly hosted party. And then when it was revealed, like Matt, someone I was talking to, I was small talking with someone. So clearly yeah. this is after I departed from Richard and Cole. They were like, they were like, oh, I used to come when it was just Matt. And now it's Matt and George. And I was like, oh, this makes sense. Like he's been doing this for a long time. Right. So that is, yes, that is the unspoken thing, which I, which I should have mentioned is that like, before we ever met, we've been dating for three years before we ever met. He, he, and actually I think two of his close college friends Mm -hmm. would always host a Christmas party that legitimately to this day, you meet any of Matthew's friends, they'll be like, uh, remember the Christmas parties? Like I, when are you going to, I mean, you know, before this one, like, when are you going to start doing them again? Blah, blah, blah. Wow. And 
I, and I think it just like, it was years of perfecting the art. I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know what to tell you. Um, all I did was buy some Spanagopitas, but, um, but yeah, it did make me, it did make me excited to host more. I was thinking like, maybe I'll host a, an Oscars party or something. Oh, I don't know. Like that's fun. Yes. Uh, yeah. That would be gorge. Yeah. Okay. That's so fun. Okay. Wait. So restaurants, yes. let's get into it. Okay. Where do we start? Where is, okay. <laughs> you, it's like Thursday night. Right. Matt's like, I want to go out to dinner. Okay. So I'll say this. And I feel like this is actually a journey many people have had about restaurants, which is that when I was younger and foodie culture was first becoming like popular uh-huh. and I was like uh-huh. a sort of like shitty, yuppie, like scum, <laughs> just sort of like, I have to try the new, like pickled onion, yeah, whatever. Like, that. um, I was sort of obsessed with like anything that was new. Like I would always read the tables for two column in the New Yorker. And I would always like read like Eater and Grub Street and whatever. And I was always like, what is the new restaurant? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then you sort of start to realize like that is such a bad strategy because well, it's also just making like a job out of a leisure activity. Yes. A hundred percent. That's like the thing. Yeah. It's, it's like, I can't be bothered. So I feel like much like everyone, much like many other people in New York, I've sort of like started going I was going to say going back to the classics, but it's like, I can't pretend I was ever into the classics to begin with, but it's just like, when you say the classics, are you I talking mean, like Keens? Like, I mean, literally like, you know, ordering a martini instead of some like complicated cocktail. Oh like, yeah. A hundred percent. Getting ba- like going to restaurant, going to like, I mean, it's impossible to get in, but like, let's say I could get into like Via Corota, like going to Via Corota instead of going to like whatever the new place is, because you know, Via Corota is going to be good, good always. Yeah. But again, I, you know, you have to line up at 3 PM. So fine, <laughs> but yeah, I'm actually never going there, but I get that. Yeah. Um, the thing is, cause I have now gone a couple of times whenever I've had like a day free where I literally can line up at three. It is just so good. No, it's really good. I've only gone once and we got in line at five and they were like, the table will be ready at 10. And I was like, fuck it. And we went and saw Judy yeah. <laughs> in theaters and then came back yeah. and discussed Renee while we had Kaju Pepe. I mean, ugh, and the salad. I mean, so yeah, it's like, or for instance, like there's this place close to my apartment that's like a cash only red sauce Italian joint. Noodle pudding? Is, yes. Yeah. Sorry, I'm outing your home. No, no, no. <laughs> it, but it is like my dream. No, new I'm having, is stunning. I'm having dinner there with my friend this Thursday, and it's our second time in uh, like two months. And I'm just like— I don't think I've been post-pan, and I think I need to go. It's just like it's a dream. And it's cheap. It's cheap. Listen, nothing—the thing is, none of these things are as cheap as you want them to be. Well, no, Like that's you sort true. of go in being like, yay, I'm like having a cheaper meal rather than going to, you know, yeah, Isodi. Yeah. But it's like, actually, it's not that cheap. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but like that I love, or like in terms of bars close to my apart, like I love Long Island bar. The like, best. So consistent. You Do know, you ever go to getting. Colony? Oh my God. We went to Colony. I adore Colony. Why did I go recently? Oh, I think I went there. My aunt was visiting, uh, tr- like in her sixties, like, and we just like, wanted that's a good aunt. Yeah. It was like, it was really great. I had some sort of pasta. Um, have you ever been to Nabila's? No. It's new. It's very new and it's um Lebanese. Lebanese I was going to say. And it's this guy and his mom I believe started it and it's sort of like you order at a bar at a not a not a bar but like you order at a counter. At a counter, thank you. <laughs> and <laughs> they have like big 
you know, pots and casseroles and stuff. And they like serve oh. you like that. Um, but it's delicious. It's in sort of like the Cobble Hill area. I mean, I'm trying to think where else. I mean, oh my God, I'm literally going to look at my notes. Yes, please. The fact that you took notes. Are this it's very incredible. funny. Um, but in terms of sort of like, oh, have you been to Chambers? No. Okay, it's in Tribeca. Okay. I went there recently and gratefully did not have to be the one to pay for it. But it is, um, I had one of the best duck dishes I've ever had in my entire life. and it, Those can really go either way, yeah. so that's exciting. Yeah, and it was, um, allegedly it has um, the best wine list in all of New York. <sighs> See, I'm dubious of that because I'm like, what does that mean? Like, why yeah. it's so broad. Do you know what I mean? Is, I know. It, is it the biggest? Is it like... To me, it means that like you can truly describe what you want and they will bring you like a perfect wine and it'll be like the best wine you've ever... Like, I, Interesting. Because as someone who was is Was the like, wine good? Yeah, it was It was really good. Um, how much would the? How much did the ticket come to at the end? I do not remember because once again, I was not... <laughs> not paying. But I will say that the glasses of wine, like there were some glasses that were like as little as, you know, nine, ten dollars. Oh, which is okay. like not, That's, not I bad. Mean, yeah. I would have expected the cheapest class to be like 17 bucks if no, you're like no, no, at no. a nice place in Tribeca. Which I, I was like, oh, this is sort of nice. Um, in terms of other restaurants that I'm like, for really, you know, for special occasions, if I'm trying to spend, I really like, you know, like Ultra Paradiso. Yeah. Um, okay. This is a little, uh, not embarrassing, but like almost like pretentious or something. But okay. So when I first moved to New York, my friend, Jen, actually the one I'm going to noodle pudding with, um, would go to Lucien and one time she saw Chloe Sevigny there. And okay. this was when I was like, you know, 21. I was like, what? You saw like Chloe Sevigny at a also, restaurant? Also like Lucien seven years ago was very different than Lucien now. Right. And also sadly, thank you for thinking I'm 28, but I'm actually old. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so I was like, okay, like I like truly like made a mental note. Like before I was living in New York, like this is where I should go. Right. And I'll like see someone like Chloe Sevigny. Not know. And now it's like, I've, I haven't been in, in many years, but now it's like almost like a punchline that like, because it's so sceny. Have you walked by it recently? No, I, I genuinely have It's actually haven't. like, it's actually crazy because it's like, you can't walk down the sidewalk because everyone who is there is doing Instagram photo shoots. Really? Like that, it, it's, Katie, do you feel like this is true? Like if you walk by Lucienne and like on the sidewalk, it's just like constant Instagram photo shoots happening. It's kind of wild. That is so, f I mean, listen, I'm not, in no way do I think I was like, early, uh, early to Lucienne. I think it's been popular for like many years, but it's just, I don't know. It's very funny that it's sort of, um, has this like second life as like Instagram popular. Like, yeah. it, it, like it always, I mean, it always, like that's like, I feel like that's like the restaurant version of like not jumping the shark because it's like, I haven't, I don't know what the food at Lucienne's like. Like it might still be fantastic. You know yeah. what I mean? But it is like when it becomes like, it's like when the clout of saying you are there or went there is higher than the actual like value of like the experience totally. of being there. That is like when a restaurant like completely pivots in existence. I totally. feel. And I think that can be yeah. sad, but also like good for them. They're probably making a shit ton of money. Where do you stand on like the McNally restaurants? So like the Balthazar's yeah. of the world. Look, I'm like, I love an institution. Yeah. Like I think that like, and I think that like New York institutional restaurants are like, they, there's like a value to that. I also think like, I'm sorry, like a New York institution where the owner is going to psychotically post on Instagram when celebrities act bad. Like we need to defend that. That's it's like, genius. yeah, you need to understand that the James Corden shit was some of the best days of my life. Like I, I yeah. those Instagram posts were sending me to the moon and back. Like 
I, every single thing about them. That was, because also you have to understand that my, I don't know, I don't, uh, my like first job in New York was where, oh, I don't normally say this on the podcast. I worked for Danny Meyer for a long time. Oh, wow, okay. So like, and Danny like doesn't talk shit about any celebrities. Like that shit gets like, that would never happen. And like, there are codes in the computers. Like the, the info is there, but it would never get leaked. It's like under t- like locking key. So seeing like the other end of the spectrum where it's like Keith was like, no, this guy's an asshole. Fuck him. Or he's acting like an asshole. Like that was so transcendent to me. I agree. I think that like he's done some bad shit. Keith McNally, he's posted some bad shit oh, online. Yeah. I mean, he's like a huge, he's like BFF with Woody Allen. It's, it's, I mean, I, yeah, yeah. That's I, I'm the not thing. like, I, but you sort of like, but I think that's like, I, people overuse the word chaotic, but it really is the definition of like chaotic. And it's like, chaotic. you can't be chaotic without also occasionally saying something insane in a bad way. A hundred percent. And I'm just, but I do just think that like, I think like those like iconic New York restaurants, like they, sh- there's a value to them. Yeah. I think that yeah. like Balthazar has a value of like, and it's like, yeah. and people can be like, I get annoyed about, I get annoyed when people are like taking People are like the food at Balthazar sucks, and it's like I don't. One, I don't know that that's true. Yeah. I think your standard of what you think sucks is kind of probably insane as a New Yorker. Right. And two, it's like it's also just not about that. Like there is, you're allowed to you're allowed to ascribe value to like I just want to be in that room. I just want to like say like let's go to Balthazar. Mm-hmm. I think and the food is passable, by the way. Like it's also by any other city standard, yeah. it's fantastic. Yeah. Like. It's like to call like it passable is totally. so crazy. Of course, you know of I mean? course. No, I mean, and, like, and by the way, it's so it's much better than like an overhyped new restaurant in some 100%. like hundred percent hotel building in you know Ridgewood or something. A hundred percent. I'm. Pro- I think that we need to defend the chaos. Like, I think that a lot of the new chicer ones they can be fun, but there is a sterility to them. Yeah. And I want that. I do sometimes crave that, like the the messiness of like totally. old school restaurant. No, I went to um. This, oh, by the way, this all sounds like I go to like a fancy restaurant every night. It's truly like for special occasions, but like for a birthday or an anniversary or something, we went to Missy, which is the new mm-hmm. the, from the Lilia people. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously it's one of the best we've ever had. It's I like mean, the, transcendent yeah. pasta, whatever. But then you are very aware of the fact that you are in a space that looks sort of like a hotel lobby that could be in any city. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And that's a little bit of a bummer. But, th- but again, the food, I mean, the food is so incredibly good but but yeah it's just like I yeah know. i mean like it's like did you ever eat at the old union square cafe before it moved mm-hmm. no the like original union square cafe had that to me where yeah. it was like it felt like you were eating in a time capsule it looked so 90s inside but not like like a kind of 90s that you like forgot about like totally. i don't know like <laughs> yeah. really white walls with these like weird watercolor paintings and like the servers all wore like um muted pastel button-ups it just like looked so and it was like and you could like it you were like it was like walking into like oh you are seeing a restaurant that like changed this neighborhood and like yeah there was something really magical about that and I remember that significantly more than the food and that's not a knock against the restaurant it's like I just think there's huge value in that like oh 100 percent the experience of that I like I've only been to Bemelman's once in my life but and I legitimately have no idea what I've ordered or any, but I remember the space so well and I'm like wow like it really felt like I was in like a movie or something yeah and it's like the like it's that's like the more I do like, the more I'm like into restaurants the more I mean I'm doing this podcast for a long time I worked in restaurants for a long time it, the the like the food and the wine and the cocktails have to be good 
But I do, I, at this point, like do just deeply believe there's actually like a pretty low ceiling to like how good they can be. Totally. And then at some point we're just like putting more and more makeup and like jewelry on like what is something that's like, and it's like, it needs to be about more than that. Like it's like the restaurants I deeply, deeply love. The food is fantastic, but the reasons I love it, like are so much more above. It's so much more about like the staff in the room. Like, like, I mean, I feel like my, my go-to like reference is Bernie's. That's like one of my restaurants I go to the most. And it's like. The food is fantastic and the drinks are fantastic. One, I'm getting a gin martini. So it's like, it's a gin martini can only be so good. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like it just needs to be cold and dry. And like you, the, like it's not, they're not doing anything to it that makes it like that different. It's just like well-made, but it's like the people who are making it, the way they make you feel, the room, the vibe, like that all. And I just think that is so much more the nebulous thing that you can't actually codify. Totally. And I think there's just like, a sort of, I I can already feel like, uh, and I think it's been happening for a while, like a backlash against like the overly precious, foodie, like molecular gastronomy. I feel like that's like, over. Blah, blah, blah. That is, and 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 the, I mean the molecular gastronomy of it all, I feel like has been over for a while. But even like, it's sort of like any sort of preciousness, I feel like, especially um, you know mid slap, you know I I keep wanting to say post pandemic, and I know we're not. Uh, I'm no, we're not supposed to say that, but everyone knows what I mean. You know, like well, post lockdown. Just so everyone knows, George is not I'm vaccinated. Not vaccinated. I don't think COVID is real, <laughs> and I um, refuse to vote. Yes. Um, and he said that gay men deserve monkeypox. I d- yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, came from. <laughs> uh, I don't even know what I'm. I feel like uh, it's so. It's like I feel so insane talking about food because I it, I don't. Like, I'm very much like a fan on the outside looking in. You know what I mean? Like, I'm very worried that I'm saying something that some real food person is going to be like, what the hell does he think he's talking about? But like, No, but that's, food people aren't real. Yes. No, I <laughs> I agree. They're fake. And no disrespect to like all of the ones I've had on this podcast, but like, it's not, I just don't, I think that like pretension around food and restaurants is so profoundly mm-hmm. lame. It's so profoundly lame and it's such bullshit because it's like this thing where it's like, People will poo-poo on something, but all it takes is like, like, like if, and I love her. This is, I'm just like using her as an example. If like tomorrow, Allison Roman was like, actually like TGI Fridays is fucking dope. It would become <laughs> cool to go to TGI Fridays. 100%. Ironically in this weird way. Yes. And there would, there would like, there would be one in like Dumbo in a week. Like it's like, it, so much of it is just like, if the right person gives it like the credit and then it becomes like a thing and it's like. I don't know. You can all fuck with the chilies, but it doesn't need like it, it, the, I just think that the the pretension around food and the branding, it's all nebulous. And in order for this industry of like what is cool to like move forward, to keep moving forward, like that always has to happen. Something that wasn't cool has to become cool and something that is cool has to become passe. 100%. And that's also, I guess, just true of like I guess that is how like the machine of culture mm-hmm. moves in general. But I think because food gets tied in with like health in this way that it then becomes like more there's like a science element to it right. but I feel, still think it's bullshit what do you feel about and this is very sort of pseudoscience of me to mark this as a trend but I'm sort of like in my world I feel like the response the reaction against the overly precious foodie of it all became this sort of like overly ironic almost like midwestern cuisine that is suddenly everywhere like you look at like patty ann's or like yeah that place that would serve like rochester garbage plates you know what i'm talking yeah, about yeah they just went out of business Welcome i know i know well r.i.p um but <laughs> but you know like there's a sort of like 
even like bar food, I feel like has become even more deep fried and like whatever. And it's very sort of fascinating to me. It's almost like a different kind of virtue signaling. It's like the opposite of the old kind of virtue signaling where you would be signaling how like sophisticated you are. Now you're like, look at how, uh, of the people I am. Yeah. I mean, it's, it feels very like, I think that there was sort of a thing of like, look, you can be in a chic room and eat like quote unquote, not chic food. And I do feel, and it feels like, I do feel like that started with Mimi's. Like, I feel like that and Bernie's, I guess to an extent, but like, I feel like that was like a thing that happened. And like, I think we've just been seeing like the continuation of that. And I think it start. I think like with a lot of the trends, it starts from like a pure place. And I think that like the people who opened Brooklyn Hot did genuinely love rock. Like, I don't think we've of entered. Course, of no, no, course, no. And yeah. I know, I know you weren't saying that they weren't, but it is like, it is interesting because I do think we're, uh, we're approaching the point where like the venture capital back places will start to do it. Do you 100%, know what I mean? And it's like, 100%. it is like the cool thing to do, which makes, I'm always like, what's going to be like the next thing. Cause I do think that is like currently the thing. Like I'm going to a restaurant next week. That is a hundred percent that, that yeah. like just started. Wait, that. Yeah. What is going to be the next thing? <sighs> My, uh, if I had to guess, I feel like I, if it could go like the shame attendant route and be like, we go back to French classics, like suddenly it's like very cool to have like a niçoise on the same, on the, on the menu. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I could see that being a thing. Um, Cause it's like we're at, or like country club menus, like clubs getting big, like not quite deep fried, but like having like, like. Like a like a chicken club could a turkey club could get really could be like very chic to have like mm-hmm. layered sandwiches. I mean, it's almost like you're describing Balthazar. It's like a mix of French food yes. and like club sandwiches. I could see that coming back. I could I could definitely definitely see that coming back because yeah. we're also like it's like that's really popular and like I, I I'm something someone has a lot of chefs I used to work with used to say this. I was like the one thing that will never go out of style. Like the one thing that will always make money that you can't like, it just will never not be popular is Italian. Oh, interesting. It's like the infallible cuisine. Like people will always go out for pasta. And I'm like, I keep on being like, but I have we hit, hit critical mass because it's like mm-hmm. we've got Missy, we've got Via Carota, we've got Don, Anton's. Anton's is so good, by the way. Um, I've never been to Anton's. Go to Anton's. It's okay. good. Um, Do you know where I've never been and I've always wanted to go? Isodi. I've never been to Isodi. But it's like, I mean, talk about impossible. Yeah. Well, anyway, yeah. And Although I'm, now they're moving into a bigger space. Oh, are they? That's yeah, exciting. but in like six months. Okay. Um, but it's like, it's just, it keeps, we keep on getting cafe spaghetti. Like we, yes. Rolos, like, it's just like we are constantly getting mm-hmm. and they're totally. constantly becoming popular. And I am like, damn, they might be right that it is the one that like is infallible. I feel like when I first moved to New York, the big things were like, like really fancy Mexican was getting popular. Like there was, um, yeah, like, um, Cosme was a big thing. And, oh my um, God. And well, I was going to say something about bleep restaurant, but actually no, now keep, I can. Yeah. yeah. You, we're going to bleep it. It is the, and I have a very high tolerance for, um, not for myself overpaying, but like I look at a menu and I know it's going to be, it's going to make me like lose my mind at how expensive it is. Like I'm not naive. I know everything's expensive in New York, whatever, but it was the one place where I looked at the prices and what I was being given. And I was like, this is too far. See, do you know where I feel that way about? And you're going to have to leave this too, Katie. <laughs> I feel that way about. Really? Yeah. I'm sorry. But like the layout of the menu with all the veggies at the top and it's like, they're all $20 and you're supposed to order like four of them before you get pastas. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like, I just think every, I'm just, it, that one, that's the one. And I spend 
viciously too much of my income on restaurants. Like I am not yeah. approaching this with a cheaply minded, but I've, I also used to work in Italian restaurants. Like I've done a, that's the one where I'm like, this is crazy. And you know what? I am in the wrong because they're making money. Like people are going. Mm -hmm. So clearly like if you're setting the price point there and people are doing it, you're not doing anything wrong. Like it's working. I just like, that is not the price point I'm going to spend on that. Totally. No, I mean, I think that's fair. But and again, I, with Italian, I'm like going back to my favorite restaurant, Noodle Pudding. I'm sort of like, yes, there are places that have better, you know, cacio e pepe, but I'm sort of like, you're still getting pretty good pasta, Noodle Pudding. No, it's <laughs> like, great. And the vibe like, of that is so yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, okay. Are we, we are at time to wrap up. Wow. That went by truly so fast. Incredible. Okay. The final segment of the podcast, the only true segment, I guess, yes. is um, if you would like, we can plan a night out together. Oh my God. Let's. Yeah. Am I planning? And, and now do I describe? Collaboratively, you and I okay. plan a night out together. What would okay. you like to do? Neighborhood. What are we thinking? So I'm in Clinton Hill. You're in. Um, oh, you're in Clinton Hill? I'm in Clinton Hill. Oh, I somehow thought you were North Brooklyn because I think of you as sort of part of the like Williamsburg. You, there's a chance you've point. been to my apartment before. Do you know who my roommate is? Who? Andrew Spina. Oh, I did know that, but I have not been to that apartment and now it's all clicking. Okay. That's great. where I live. So I live like right over by like, come on, everybody. Um, okay. My other roommate is Bill. I live with both of them. Right, right, <laughs> so, right. But like, you're friends with Andrew. Um, okay. Well, something we haven't touched upon is gay bars and I am a, like Julius is like the, ha to me, my happiest place. Wait, yeah, we miss this hugely because yeah. that's like my, Julius is my favorite. One so of my that's, favorite bars. So that's where we're starting. Yeah, hundred percent. Do you want to eat there? Here's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I, Sam and I talk about this all the time. Getting like a burger yes, slash like mozzarella stick slash like chicken tenders at Julius and just like a well tequila soda is in many ways my ideal meal. Yeah, the last time I did it, we went there for dinner after we saw Kate. Yeah. We walked over and got, it was me and Andrew, and we got burgers, and we split chicken tenders and mozzarella sticks, and we had martinis. And actually, it was one of the best nights of my life. Honestly, that that is our night. I'm down. Let's do it. Yeah. That's sort of, I'm like, I, I'm like, I could add another stop to it, but I'm like, ultimately, that is where I want to be all the time. No, it's the most magical place in New York City. All right. I'll see you there. Okay, perfect. Thanks so much for the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Going Out with Jake Cornell. If you could please go and rate and review us on whatever you're listening to this on, that would be really gorgeous for me in a huge way. So thank you. And now for some credits. Going Out with Jake Cornell is recorded in New York City and produced by Keith Beavers and Katie Brown. The music you're hearing is by Darby Seaside. The cover art you're probably looking at was photographed by M. Cooper and designed by Danielle Grinberg. And a special shout out to Vinepair co-founders Josh Mallon and Adam Teeter for making all of this possible. Mm -hmm.